Man, you're getting killed out there. Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? <gasps> well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm your host, Joe Dorowski, and this week I am joined by Kirsta Christensen to discuss Dave from the movie Dave. Hello! Welcome, Kirsta. So, a bit more info. Dave is the story of a part-time presidential impersonator who is hired to be a body double for the president for a brief public event and unexpectedly has to prolong the charade, or charade, if you want to go with the more British pronunciation. I had no idea that was a British pronunciation. <laughs> it, it gets referenced a few times on Fraser, and, uh. and when you want to sound snooty, they refer to it as charade. charade. <laughs> yes. um, and this was a film that was released in 1993 and directed by Ivan Reitman, who also directed Ghostbusters, and it stars Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Frank Langella. 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 Thank you. Kevin Dunn, Ving Rhames, and I'm always happy when I see Ving Rhames on film. Are you like when I saw I had forgotten he was in this and he was yeah. on there? I'm like, oh, Ving, you're always great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ben Kingsley. Mm -hmm. So we've got some trivia for you. Um, Warren Beatty and Kevin Costner both turned down the starring role before Kevin Klein was hired. Just a reminder: every good film was. A almost a bad film if they had made different <laughs> casting and writing and editing decisions. Um, Kevin Klein was ultimately chosen because the film required an actor who had the range to play both the seriousness of the cold and calculating Bill Mitchell and the comedy of the sweet and naive Dave Kovic. I gotta say, he does a really good job of with minor acting choices in mm -hmm. how he holds his body and what yeah. he does with his face, where it, I don't think he's over-exaggerating nope. either of these roles, but you feel like... I mean, obviously it is the same person, but you feel a different personality coming through. Yeah. And even in the, I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss it, even in the one scene where they do meet and, and they keep them on the, you know, they keep them on consistent sides of the screen too, to make sure that there's no confusion. But you would, I mean, you would never, ever be confused. It is completely obvious every moment who is who. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just a really, really impeccable performance. Uh, this film notably includes many, many cameos of politicians, journalists, and other public figures, including Christopher Dodd, Larry King, Jay Leno, John McLaughlin, Tip O'Neill, Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I realized was pre-political Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yes. Well, and I heard at one point someone had suggested him. Like, like not in a legitimate casting, but right. someone, like someone in the studio is like, we should get Arnold. Oh, yeah, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. And it's like, mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. no, <laughs> again, not the role for Arnold. Every, every film, every good film was almost a bad film. Um, also, Ben Stein, Oliver Stone, Helen Thomas, and Nina Totenberg. The script is deliberately vague about the political party to which President Mitchell belongs. There are cameos from both Republican and Democratic lawmakers voicing support for his policies. Also, it is implied that Mitchell's the 44th president of the United States, despite the film's contemporary early 90s setting. In reality, the movie was filmed during the presidency of the 41st president, George H.W. Bush, and released just after the 42nd president, Bill Clinton, took office. The real 44th president was Barack Obama. The film was well-received, and it holds a Rotten Tomato score of 95%, with many critics praising Klein's performance and describing the film as a spiritual successor to Frank Capra's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Screenwriter Gary Ross was nominated for an Academy Award, and Kevin Klein was nominated for a Golden Globe. One of the state capitol buildings in Richmond, Virginia, doubled for the House Chamber of the U.S. Capitol when the president addresses a joint session of Congress. And the Oval Office set that was constructed for the film was reused in more than 25 other films, including The Pelican Brief and Clear and Present Danger. It just feels like there should be a lot in Hollywood that is permanently right. the Oval Office. <laughs> right. And, and I don't know how often the Oval Office gets redecorated. Maybe there's a point at which the set's not accurate. But yeah, you would think you would just need to have like a standing Oval Office yeah, set, obviously. And, and, all, all, and it's shared by all the studios. Like, okay, who's right, got it? Right, right. The communal Oval <laughs> Office set, yes. You guys can film Tuesdays and Thursdays, your Monday and Wednesdays, your alternate right. weekends. <laughs> <laughs> 
So several of the actors on Dave have gone on to roles in other presidential films. Kevin Klein played President Ulysses S. Grant in the 2000 film Wild Wild West. Uh, Frank Langella won a Tony Award for his portrayal of President Richard M. Nixon in the 2007 Broadway play Frost Nixon. He resumed the role for the play's 2008 film adaptation and was nominated for an Oscar. Laura Linney played the distant cousin and childhood friend of Franklin D. Roosevelt in the 2012 film Hyde Park on Hudson. Sigourney Weaver played another former First Lady and current Secretary of State in the miniseries Political Animals. And Kevin Dunn currently plays the presidential chief of staff on the television show Veep. And one more bit of trivia that's more uh, presidential trivia in general. Do you know, Joe, or did you know before you looked at the notes what the name of the president's helicopter is? I did, and I cannot remember where I picked this up. Maybe mm-hmm. it was on a West Wing episode. Pop, that's entirely That'd possible. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the president's aircraft is Air Force One, um, but the president's helicopter is Marine One. All right. And well, speaking of some real presidential trivia, um, I in anticipating this this episode i said i wonder what the history of like presidents who have been incapacitated is let's just say that's not a rabbit hole you want to go down (laughs) it really makes you think maybe we need a better system in place in the constitution for uh in the event of presidential incapacitation um so amongst the most famous uh versions of this happening is woodrow wilson had a stroke in 1919 uh, he continued in office until 1921, and he was largely incapacitated for those two years. And his wife, Edith, um, has been said to have run an awful lot, a legally questionable large amount of the executive <laughs> branch of the United States government uh, while her husband was incapacitated. Uh, there's like reading through all of these. It reminded me of one of the great acted scenes in the West Wing when um, President Bartlett, spoiler warning for a show that's 20 years old, uh, <laughs> he, he's shot and he goes into surgery. And then um, one of the the staff members, Toby, he he's like, who was in charge while he was in surgery? And, and they're like, there were no major decisions. He's like, well, lack of decisions, a decision. Was there a coup d'etat during this, you know, where the decision-making process broke down yeah. in a way that shouldn't have, and it was just for a couple hours. And then I read through history, I'm like, oh, oh, Toby. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be horrified at some of the things that have happened. Besides um, Woodrow Wilson. Oh, go ahead. In, in local news, uh, Joe and I both live in Utah, and um, the governor of Utah had to have surgery at some point over the summer. And so the lieutenant governor briefly became the acting governor. And uh, our lieutenant governor has a very strong social media presence. So he was like making all these jokes and proclamations and his like small farm hometown was like the capital of Utah and all this stuff. So um, I, I I don't think he had a lot of fun with that while he was governor for two hours. <laughs> um, historically, I think this one's a little more well-known, but FDR famously because of issues with polio um, from his youth, he was in a wheelchair during much of his presidency, but never appeared in his wheelchair in public. And this was a time when the media all knew about it and just kind of agreed, we don't talk about that. Uh, which there was a lot of we don't talk about that mm-hmm. with the U.S. government up through pretty much the 80s is when mm-hmm. it kind of seemed to become a little more uh, free for all um, in reporting on affairs and other such things amongst the nation's leaders. Um, JFK, he served for two and a half years before his assassination, but he was hospitalized nine times in those two and a half, and a half years. Um, and most of those were kept secret from the public that he was hospitalized. And it was also reported in some biographies that he may have governed while heavily medicated at times, perhaps to a point where the faculties weren't fully in play. Um, And these were some tense times in American history. Um, Eisenhower, this is the one that was the most mind-blowing to me, that I had never heard of this. So he had a heart attack and a stroke while he was in office. And um, he was a -a four-pack-a-day smoker. And he had his heart attack. He was was on a golf course and complained of indigestion. And then his doctor checked him out after. He's like, yeah, it's just indigestion. And then the next morning, they're like, that was a heart attack. And the doctor doctored his reports to cover up that he had misdiagnosed a heart attack. Oh, my indigestion. goodness. <laughs> and let's just say the cover up of that is something that still seems to be getting peeled back sometimes as I, as I, as I was looking into this event. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well. And then during his stroke, um, he was incapacitated for about six weeks, and Nixon, his vice president, was largely in charge. Oh, so wait, so these were separate events? This wasn't yes. a heart attack and a stroke? No, this, this was, was so a heart, heart attack. So the heart attack was before his re-election, and the stroke was after his re-election. 
And then uh, Ronald Reagan had several health concerns and even transferred power to his vice president, George H.W. Bush, for eight hours when he was to go undergo surgery for uh, cancerous polyps that needed to be removed. So that's similar to what you just referenced right. in our, our local right. uh, Utah political scene. And the last bit of trivia that I came across is that uh, there was a musical based on this film that was premiered in Washington, D.C. in 2018. Premiering in Washington, D.C. makes me think this one might not have a Broadway run. <laughs> In its future, but maybe you never know. Well, it's it's very topical to premiere into in DC. Yes, uh, but but you're right. DC is not a town known for its theater. Yeah, the, the, the early is. runs. That's not where right. you typically see <laughs> the, the burgeoning. Like like they go through DC. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we move on, listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon, and this episode was sponsored by uh, patron Ryan. And Ryan, we know you became a patron right before Todd announced his retirement, and we did a run of about 10 episodes of Todd hitting some of the greatest hits he wanted to do before he left, and it's taken us a little while to get to this episode, so we will do a couple other of the picks that you had suggested. When you sent this in uh, and asked for Dave, you said, if you don't do Dave, here's a few other options. We will get to some of those other options because you had to wait so long for us to get to to this discussion topic. Um, anyone else who would like to support us financially, we would invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes, which we talk about media that we've been uh, consuming that we weren't going to do full episodes on. And we also give an update on our yearly fantasy box office. And Todd will be making, be making a couple appearances in through the, at least the end of this year to just touch base on where our fantasy box office uh, <laughs> is standing on those um, patron uh, special quick casts. And all patrons who support the show with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss, or in the case of Ryan, more than one topic for us to discuss. And now, Kirsta, you were kind enough to write the synopsis for Dave. I was, and I actually was a lot of fun. So Um, we begin with a shot of Marine One, the president's helicopter. Landing on the White House lawn, President Bill Mitchell exits the helicopter, waves to an assembled crowd, and turns to gallantly offer his hand to help the First Lady descend. They continue to hold hands as he crosses the lawn and smiles at the crowd. An aide hands him the leashes of a couple of dogs. When he enters the White House, his demeanor completely changes. He throws away the leashes of the dogs, uh, drops the First Lady's hand, and the President and the First Lady head off in opposite directions without even looking at each other. I have to say, this is a fantastic scene. Um, establishes so much non-verbally. Um, That's one thing I was really impressed with this film overall mm-hmm. is how much you learn about the characters without it being told. Yeah. It, 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 there's a lot of showing, not telling yeah. throughout this. Meanwhile, we are introduced to Dave Kovic, the kind-hearted head of a D.C. area temp agency who picks up occasional work as a presidential impersonator because of his striking resemblance to President Bill Mitchell. To be clear, both characters are played by Kevin Klein. One day, a couple of Secret Service agents approach Dave about standing in as a body double for the president at a public event. They take Dave to a hotel where he's introduced to White House Chief of Staff Bob Alexander and Communications Director Alan Reed. A barber gives Dave a haircut that exactly matches the president and he's given a a tuxedo to wear. The real president gives a speech in the hotel ballroom, then Dave exits the hotel, waves at the crowd, and gets in the presidential limousine. In the limousine, Dave speculates to his Secret Service guard that the president must be doing something pretty important to go to the trouble of getting a body double. In reality, Bill Mitchell is still at the hotel having a tryst with one of his secretaries when he suddenly has a stroke and becomes unresponsive. Alan and Bob rush to the scene where they are informed by doctors that even if he lives, Mitchell will likely never regain consciousness. With the president incapacitated, Alan and Bob discuss their options. Alan thinks they need to hand over control of the White House to the vice president as legally required by the 25th Amendment, but Bob dismissively calls the vice president a Boy Scout. Bob wants Dave to continue to pretend to be the president so that Bob and Alan can pull the strings behind the scenes. Alan convinces Dave that maintaining the ruse is in the best interest of the country. When Dave asks why the vice president can't take over, Bob lies and says that the vice president is actually insane. Alan sends out a press release saying that the president suffered a, quote, minor circulatory problem of the head, unquote, but that he'll be back to his duties within a few days. Bob and Alan take advantage of that time to give Dave a crash course in the basics of government, such as the such as its three different branches and the names of all the president's cabinet members. Dave worries that Ellen Mitchell, the first lady, will become suspicious if he pretends to be her husband. But Bob and Alan reassure him that behind the scenes, their marriage is functionally over and they barely see each other at all. Dave has a conversation with Dwayne, one of his Secret Service agents. He asks Dwayne if it's true that he would really take a bullet for the president, and Dwayne says that he would. Dave muses that maybe that loyalty now extends to taking a bullet for him. Dave is surprisingly good at impersonating the president, but as he continues in the role, elements of his real personality begin to come through. 
He plays with the White House dogs and makes jokes at public appearances. Political pundits attribute his change of personality to facing a brush with death. Meanwhile, Bob and Alan send the vice president out of the country on an African goodwill tour. While he is gone, Alan plans to frame the vice president for being involved in a savings and loan scandal. Bob reveals that his ultimate plan is to force the vice president to resign over the scandal, get Dave to appoint him as the new vice president, and then fake Bill Mitchell having another stroke so that Bob can become president himself. Dave visits the local homeless shelter together with Ellen, since fighting homelessness is one of her key priorities as first lady. She witnesses a sweet moment where Dave does a magic trick for one of the kids at the shelter. Later, Bob goes to the Oval Office and forges the president's signature to veto a spending bill that eliminates funding for, the, for many homeless shelters, including the one that Dave visited. When Ellen finds out that the bill has been vetoed, she angrily confronts Dave in the shower and tells him that the, his real magic trick was making the homeless shelter funding disappear. Dave has no idea that Bob has vetoed the funding bill, so he decides to work with the cabinet to eliminate other items in the budget so they can afford to keep funding the shelters. Bob tries to get Dave to stick to the planned cabinet meeting agenda, but the press corps is present and he can't force the issue without arousing suspicion. After the meeting, Bob is furious and feels that Dave is not sufficiently under his control. After Dave saves the homeless shelter, Ellen becomes suspicious and she tricks him into revealing that he is not the real Bill Mitchell. Ellen finds out the truth about her husband's stroke and subsequent medical condition. She prepares to leave the White House, but changes her mind and decides to play along with the ruse after talking to Dave and realizing what a good person he is. Dave calls a press conference of his own accord, which infuriates Bob, so Dave fires him and threatens to tell the press corps the truth if Bob doesn't cooperate. Dave announces a new sweeping jobs program for everyone in America. Ellen supports Dave's new jobs program, and they find that they enjoy working together. Bob retaliates by telling the press that he has evidence that Bill Mitchell was also involved in a legal activity concerning the savings and loan scandal. Dave doesn't understand why Bob is making up spurious allegations until Alan explains that the real Bill Mitchell actually did commit those crimes. Dave has a conversation with Vice President Nance, who has returned from Africa. Nance reveals that he started out as a shoe salesman who decided to run for local office with a very modest campaign budget. Later, Dave and Ellen stand on one of the White House balconies. Dave observes that the vice president is a good man. Ellen agrees, but adds, I don't want to lose you. Dave decides to address a joint session of Congress. He admits to Mitchell's involvement in the financial scandal, but drops a bombshell by revealing that Bob Alexander was also involved. Watching the speech from home, Bob realizes that Alan must have decided to side with Dave by giving him the necessary evidence. Dave then says that Vice President Nance was never involved and publicly apologizes to him. Dave continues his speech, noting that the public servants shouldn't be in the job if they're not truly willing to serve the public. He then collapses and is rushed to an ambulance. The ambulance arrives at the hospital, where the president is taken out on a stretcher. Dwayne also exits the ambulance, then walks around to the front of the vehicle where Dave is sitting in the passenger seat, disguised as an EMT. He had switched places during the ambulance ride, and the person on the stretcher is the real Bill Mitchell. Before Dave leaves, Dwayne tells him that he would have taken a bullet for him. Vice President Nance assumes the president's duties due to President Mitchell's incapacity. A few months later, President Mitchell dies without ever regaining consciousness, and Vice President Nance is sworn in as the new president. Dave Kovic is back to his old life at the temp agency, but he has decided to run for city council. A woman shows up to volunteer for his campaign. It's Ellen Mitchell. Dave invites her into his office, where they kiss. Thank you for that summary, Kirsta. That, you know, it's all the major points. This movie doesn't have, like, a whole lot of complexity to it, but it, no. it, it has a lot of charm yeah. to it, which is, um, you're, you're not watching it for, like, all the twists and turns of right. the plot. It's Kevin Klein giving a really great performance. Right. Um, and just oozing this charm. And then there is some of that... Um, they said this is kind of like a, a spiritual successor to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, <laughs> both of which this and that film are very cynical about politicians, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's very true. positive about the possibility of good people having an impact. Yeah. And, and I will say the first time I saw this, um, I don't know that we talked about how we came to the film, but um, I, I was I was fooled by by Dave collapsing and pretending to have a stroke and also getting pulled out of the ambulance. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that happened, you know, <laughs> which – in retrospect, seems like kind of an obvious plot device, but you know, at the time, I, I was I bought into it. Well, so. it's one of those that fits together so well that once you once you think yeah, of it, you're like, yeah. oh, of course, that's what they had to do. But I could I could completely see. I do not don't remember the first time I saw this. I right. know I've seen it a few times. Right. It had been years since I saw it before watching it again for this, and I don't remember my reaction to that at all. But mm -hmm. like 
narratively, it makes such perfect sense. Right. You can't imagine a different ending once that one's done. So yeah, no, and 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 going through it this time, I was just like, this is a really tight film. You know, it's um everything about the savings and loan scandal that is set up really well. I noticed this time that um, when we first see David the temp agency, he pulls out a drawer that has a baseball and a baseball glove in it, which and this is just a, a minor moment I didn't put in the recap, but he ends up throwing out the first pitch at a you know baseball game, and he's very good at it. He actually throws it into the into the um, catcher's mitt. Um, so so yeah, that foreshadows that he really likes. And I think there was something else in that scene. I don't remember what it was um, that, that also foreshadowed. Oh no, it was it was he was singing Oklahoma to himself, right. and that comes up um, later when he has to another scene I skipped um, when he has to uh, pretend to be a presidential impersonator. impersonator and not really the president. Right. And so to show his acting chops, he yes. breaks into some, some yes. song. Yeah. But no, it's a very, um, the, the ending, the ending perfectly resolves things that were set up with, with, you know, foreshadowing that was sent along the way that, um, that you wouldn't really have noticed. But the, you know, the fact that, that he can't continue that indefinitely, but he can switch places with the person who really is incapacitated. And the fact that, um, that, you know, the scandal that they're trying to pin on the vice president actually includes Bob Alexander um, and possibly even Alan Reed. That's not never clarified, but he may have apparently turned, <laughs> you know, decided to to act as a witness. Um, yeah, it's it's a really, really tight ending. Um, and so much of it does hinge on Kevin Klein's performance. Oh, my goodness. But, yes. But, but also, I want to give credit to. Uh, the set designers and the costume designers and mm-hmm. the director and how much of the, again, those characters get revealed. Like when he just walks through his apartment, he's in his apartment for one minute of screen time. Yeah. But you feel like, you know, this guy, like he's, he's got books stacked on their sides of, all over his apartment. So mm-hmm. he's a reader. He walks in with his um, sock tucked into his, or his jeans tucked into his sock because he rides his bike. Yeah. Um, so, which, you know, there's kind of a, an endearing goofiness and, and geekiness mm-hmm. um, about that. And uh, like, there's so many instances I can think of throughout the film where things like the the baseball club, where it's like, oh, this is very like everything's actually being cho- chosen so deliberately. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, we just need the apartment of a single guy, right? You know, they they are, they're making the choices to tell a lot of the story visually, um, in a way that allows it to maintain its tightness. Mm-hmm. Like if you had to go through and give like character sketches of everyone verbally, like mm-hmm. you're gonna feel like you're you're wandering down some cul-de-sacs that don't don't need to be in the film. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Kevin Klein, his performance, and Dave as well. Um, what is it that, for you, most solidifies like the difference between Dave and the president? <laughs> like it's the same actor yeah. doing both roles, but they feel so different. Um, I think there's a kind of coldness to President Mitchell. Um, he's he's always in control, and he's kind of always on the verge of being angry. <laughs> Um, he's, and and they do something interesting too, I noticed where he has this very, very kind of trim, um, conservative hairstyle and Dave's hair at the beginning before he even gets a little makeover is a little bit more fluffy. And then even throughout the film, I think his hair is a little bit more fluffy, um, which is not Kevin Klein's acting that I think about it. Um, (laughs) yeah, he's very, he's very controlled maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, he's very serious. Um, when he smiles, it's, it's cynical or it's because he's having an affair <laughs> what well, it feel like his happiness when it, when he's doing happy uh, acting to the crowd that feels like a performance mm-hmm. Wait, mm-hmm. which i mean that's acting upon acting upon acting right yeah, yeah. But, it, but it feels a little like this is for show when he's being uber patriotic to the crowd right. or when he's smiling right. um and when kim Klein is playing dave it just feels like a natural exuberance. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and a little, you know, more, more improvised and more. And that's another thing is like you see, he's, he really connects with the public, with the crowd because he does things that just as they come up, he responds to things. Um, something else that we get in the scene where he, in the scene where he's, President Mitchell's giving the speech to the ballroom, you start out with a, with a shot, um, kind of in front of him from the perspective of the crowd. And then you slowly move around until you're kind of behind him a little bit. And what you see as you move around, cause he's telling this like, 
you know, supposedly off the cuff anecdote about a friend he's seen in the crowd and they used to have crazy times in college. And as you flip around, you see that like that entire anecdote, including the off the cuffness, is on the teleprompter. And so like everything about this man is fake. Just everything about him. Yeah. Um, is- it even says like pause and it even like does the word change where it like starts down a sentence path and it, I think it, right. it shows like, right. no, no, now back up and retell the story yeah. to make it seem natural. But like you said, it's just so fake and manufactured. And, and again, that's something that's done with um, that that communicates a lot in a very short period of time. So with that with that um, almost wordless scene of him landing on the helicopter and walking in, and how he completely changes once he get once he gets away from the crowd, it's the same kind of thing where if you heard that speech, you might be like, okay, it's an anecdote. But seeing it and seeing the teleprompter, being like, oh yeah, this is this is all calculating and all cold. And um, and as Dave, yeah, he's very genuine. He's um, more improvisational, and that's actually something that gets him into trouble in his very first. Um, uh, public event, the, the only one that he's supposed to do, um, is that he, he gets really into it and he, you know, does thumbs up to the crowd and they react so much and he gets so excited that he just, you know, does this big, like, God bless America and he gets yanked into the limousine, which is really funny. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I think that's probably the main difference. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite bits of acting in the entire film is right when he, when he's first going to be impersonating the president and he's supposed to walk through the crowd and they're all cheering and like the secret service has them all lined at the side and he's been told don't smile uh-huh. and you see his face work not <laughs> to smile and you keep seeing the smile crack uh-huh. just enough i don't think kevin klein gets enough credit for, oh yeah for his acting. yeah like no. i'm super impressed i i also like from a story perspective i also like that he that in story he was already a presidential impersonator and so instead of instead of like oh this amazing look-alike i i, I felt that it was more convincing that he kind of had some of those tools it was actually in some ways more observant of the president than his his handlers were so to speak um so that that um there's a scene where he's like first practicing to be the president with with Alan and Bob and and he's like giving this speech and 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 mimicking it all and then and then he sees his pen at the bottom that has like says like the White House on he's like can I keep the pen you know so he loves like this like very stentorian you know really great political speech and then he's like oh, a pen with the White House on it I'm so excited so yeah yeah it is a, just a charming performance um from beginning to end and I think. He, I mean, you mentioned some of the other possible casting choices. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine anyone else playing this. Now, this right. isn't like one of those like iconic films that everyone talks about, mm-hmm. but it's still just a charming film to go and visit. Yeah. And one thing that, I mean, we were talking a little bit recording, like we're living in charged political times right now. Yeah. And it feels <laughs> weird to address a political film. This is, like you said, it doesn't identify political parties. Mm-hmm. And there are aspects, negative aspects of the politics on display that you could think, oh, they were modeling that on X or Y. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, this was made before they were in power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's for both parties. You could say, oh, they're modeling this on mm-hmm. on these things. And it's just a commentary about politics in general mm-hmm. and some of the nastiness that is underneath the service and some of the performative aspects of the patriotism mm-hmm. that, you know, they show. Um, but I think the film maintains a really tight focus on what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get lost into too many subplots. Like, the only time you're not with Dave, it's the evil machinations of Bob, right? right. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You get your, you have either Dave or Bob, or I guess sometimes the first lady reacting to, mm-hmm. to Dave. Um, but it, it maintains that pretty tight focus. Now, in, in saying that and, and praising the terms of the film, this isn't a groundbreaking film. Like there are stories mm-hmm. that we can think of that do this kind of thing. Right. Uh, um, be it Mr. Smith going to Washington of the, you know, the small literal boy scout right. <laughs> um, in that case, yeah. um, who just with good principles is going to reshape public policy. Mm-hmm. Can you think of like, are there any other stories that this kind of resonated with you? Like, Oh, they're playing with this kind of trope or. Well, there's the, there's the, the Prince and the Pauper trope. Mm-hmm. If you want to go clear back. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, I I did think it was. I don't know if this is really a trope, but I did think that you know the moment when Dave realizes that as long as people believe he's the president, he can act like the president, and he kind of shuts Bob down in the cabinet meeting. Like that's a really interesting moment where the balance of power is actually shifting like palpably. And, yeah, and I, I I didn't look for it then, but I wonder like in the direction are there things that are being done? Mm-hmm. I'd like to establish which ones in in the power dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, yeah, because, um, because, you know, they say, okay, here we're at this cabinet meeting and, and Dave's like, yeah, I want to do something different. And Bob's like, that's not on the agenda. And he's like, and Dave says, well, no, it's an extra item. And, and, um, 
And then Bob tries to speak again, and, and Dave's like, yes. And and Bob realizes he can't say, you know, maybe not even in front of the cabinet members, but because the press corps happens to be there, um, mm-hmm. then he really can't say anything. Yeah, and it's a really, it's a really interesting moment. I'm, I tend to be really fascinated by those moments in, in narrative that feel like a sort of a balancing moment of like, okay, something is slowly, slowly shifting or slowly, you know, um, shifting or balancing or, or tipping towards something else. Well, and the last time we saw Bob before this, it's when he was sitting in the Oval Office in the president's chair doing the veto, right? That, mm-hmm. so like, that was the height of his power. Yeah. And this is where he's going to start losing power and start becoming a little more frantic and grasping at straws and everything's mm-hmm. going to fall apart because of that. Like, he, he overreaches. Uh, it, well, I mean, the moment of the overreach is doing the veto. Right? Yeah. <laughs> sitting in the yeah, president's yeah. chair. But even from here on out, and when trying to pin the stuff on the on the president and the vice, you know, he, he's going to be going a little too far in his machinations. Mm-hmm. Um, the I was thinking of the Prince and the Popper as mm-hmm. well, like you mentioned. One thing that's interesting to me, if I, and it's been so long since I've engaged with the Prince and the Popper, <laughs> but but don't both of them kind of realize the other one has struggles that they don't think about in that one? Is that it's it's been a, that sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. but, but but in this one, like obviously, there's no one taking Dave's place mm-hmm. at the temp end agency, but it's not like he realizes the presidency is hard. <laughs> he no. realizes you should be a good person <laughs> if yeah, you're going to be and, a president. On the contrary. Um, Dave, it, Dave doesn't have really that much trouble being the president. It's more that, um, it's more that the real actions of the actions of the real Bill Mitchell catch up with him. Mm-hmm. Although you could say, like, you would have to be someone like Bill Mitchell the real Bill Mitchell to get to that position in the first place is a whole sort of like people who want power and not people who should have power kind of situation. Yes. Um, which that itself is, is, I think is really interesting. The, the fact that, um, the fact that this, this sort of paradise situation cannot last. So even though there gets a point where Dave's getting a lot of things done and he and the first lady are even working really well together, suspiciously well together, and then she finds out the truth and then she decides to stick around anywhere, like it's, it's, it cannot last. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that it's really, you know, he's, he's, was always going to come to a head with Bob. I mean, the, the the balance of power was always going to start to tip once Dave decided to do what he wanted to do. And things were always going to come to a head with Bob. But Bob had ways of shutting him down because Bob knew all the secrets of the real people involved. Um, and so Dave just decides to, you know, d- decides to take Bob out as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, there's this, um, you, you feel there's a time limit on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Bob is the one who's like working to ensure the best outcome for him personally yeah. at the end of this time limit. And Dave at first, it's hard to like, I don't know. I have a real sense of like what his end goal is. He's mm-hmm. just basically, I've been asked That's to do true. this. I'm going to be doing true. it. He doesn't have an end goal until Bob goes too far and vetoes something that he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's when he starts to, like you said, take control in right. a way that Bob doesn't like, but it's also when it's most obvious, like, it's kind of like, I mean, all along, it's like, this man was not elected. <laughs> like, he's better. Like, as an audience, we root for him because he's right. so much better right. than, uh, you know, the the five minutes of screen time we got of President Mitchell. Right. <laughs> like, we just know innately in looking at them that there's a purity to Dave. Uh, and also um, an, an empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a moral empathy uh, that, that Mitchell seemed to completely be lacking. But we, we know that there's a timeline on this. And I think it's so satisfying the way that they decide to resolve it mm-hmm. by like showing, uh, you know, Ben Kingsley comes in as the vice president. You're yes. Like, oh, he is a good guy. <laughs> and Ben Kingsley does a fantastic job. Um, speaking of someone who has very little scene time, I think he has two scenes with dialogue and maybe a third one. Maybe the distance one when he's being sworn in. Right. 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 Yeah. And and really manages to to communicate um, a great deal of humanity. And you know, if we had to 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 kind of write a backstory i assume that that bill mitchell got the nomination of whatever party he was on but that he brought on nance to 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 win some other coalition or something because right. clearly the men are very different yeah, and don't like each other aspect. right right or or you know or some or some you know he's more centrist or there's some there's some mm-hmm. aspect of the of the party he would bring on um yeah because otherwise he would just have picked someone like like bob alexander in the first place to be <laughs> to be um his vice president. And, um, I, you know, when we're, when we're talking about, when we're talking about Bob vetoing the bill, the scene where Ellen comes in to yell at Dave, um, who's in the shower is one of the funniest and also most serious 
you know, scenes in the, in the, in the whole film. And it's, and it's played completely differently on each side because what happens is, you know, Dave is taking a shower in this very nice kind of marble and glass shower and she yells at him, comes to yell at him. And, you know, as his wife expects him to turn around, but he's not comfortable turning around (laughs) in front of this person who he does not actually know very well. And so, and so he just plays it and we kind of, we see him from the waist up, but he just plays it very, very, very uncomfortable. And then she's just yelling at him and it's, and it's one of those I, I also like moments in 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 stories where where two characters think they're having a conversation but they're really having different conversations and, and he's having this very like uncomfortable um you know comedic conversation and she's just yelling at him for for being a bad person um it's another um i like um i think i've noticed this more because i heard lin-manuel miranda talking about this mm-hmm. where he said he loves to write an argument that's really about something bigger. Oh but yeah, you yeah, think it's yeah. About this little sure. argument. And this is one of those where, like, they think they're like he thinks she's like, she's arguing about the bill, but really she's arguing about their life. Oh sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and his role <laughs> as president. Like they're right. arguing about a lot more than this bill, but they are just arguing about that bill. Uh, in Hamilton, uh, the memo Miranda mm-hmm. talked about when uh, George Washington. There's a scene where George Washington keeps calling uh, Alexander Hamilton's son, son. Mm-hmm. and and that's what's riling uh, Hamilton up, and finally it, it boils over, and yeah. they have uh, you know it out about the. The paternalistic attitude it's on display with Alexander Hamilton as an orphan has father issues. <laughs> right, <laughs> um, right, yeah. Uh, and this is uh, – it's a good example of both of those things that you identified. The, the characters are having – the audience has one mm-hmm. set of information. Each character has a different set of information. Mm-hmm. But then also the audience is learning that this argument is about something else entirely. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, and then – and then um, and Helen's got a fascinating perspective because, you know, she barely interacts with him at all. And then they go to um, the homeless shelter where he shows a side of himself that she's that seems very new, probably because it's not actually well, her I husband. Can tell, I can tell she was playing this, that this is new or this is the original version that she fell in love with of her husband. Oh, like, that's a good this, question. Is this a reminder of simpler times before he kind of became power mad and manipulative? Well, okay. I, I think it's – I think um, – we certainly understand that that the Bill Mitchell she fell in love with is not the Bill Mitchell that she's currently mm-hmm. married to. Um, I don't know if it's implied that he used to be idealistic. Mm. Although in this world, there are only two kinds of people, people <laughs> who are completely idealistic or people who are like evil. Um, I guess Alan Reed is, is the old lead character who honestly has any kind of gray about him. Um, I, I've never read it that way. I mean, I, I, you certainly could. I think it was more, you know, first of all, she's, so, so he goes to talk to a little boy at the homeless shelter and the press follows him, but he does want us to talk to the little boy. He doesn't, so he waves the press off and she's surprised by that because he's all about the photo, the photo op. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, she appears to be surprised by it, but I, but you're right. I don't know if that's like, if that's like, um, a different side of him or a side that she used to know. It's like in Hogwarts, like, oh, Peter, you are in there. Right. <laughs> right. Like, oh, honey, I did fall in love with some, th- right. some aspect of you right. long ago. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but you know, what if, I mean, what if you have as a sneaking suspicion that there's, you know, that, that someone in your life has been replaced by an imposter? And what if your life is actually better because of it? <laughs> and like... The lives of a lot of other people are better. And what is your, you know, what are, and she even tells, you know, when, when she's, when she's confronting him, she even says, well, and confrontation is probably too strong of a word, but she even says, like, I just want to know where he is. You know, she's not, she's not like raising a ruckus or calling a conference. She's just sort of like, I don't think you are really my husband and I need a little more information yeah. about what's going on here. And, and I mean, within all the layers of this, mm-hmm. this weirdness of a, uh, sus- having the suspicion that your husband has been replaced yeah. and everything, like, because it's set in the world of politics and with the president, it's like, what are the legal ramifications sure. Of, sure, sure, sure. of all of this? Which the movie mostly dodges other than saying, oh, this could be trouble. Right. <laughs> like, yes. it kind of acknowledges what we're doing isn't right. Right. But it doesn't really delve into mm-hmm. the details of what this level of fraud would mean for everyone involved. Yeah, and and it starts off with the the bad guys, so to speak, replacing Bill Mitchell with the imposter. But even at the end, the good guys decide that it's better if the public never knows that this happened. Yeah, the truth um, of it all. Right. Which, I mean, so, and in a film where so much of it is, as you said, like ethically black and white, mm-hmm. there's the good guys and there's the bad guys. Yeah. It's kind of like going back to our discussion of much ado about nothing. Mm-hmm. Like there's the good guys we like who are doing a pretty heavy deception. Right. What what is the morality of deception? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in this case, like that, they pull the plug on the deception. 
But at the same time, what's the morality <laughs> of maintaining that lie and preserving that lie mm-hmm. in part, at least in part, for their own benefit, to right. prevent jail time, right. to prevent scandal, to prevent the disruption of their lives right. in every way imaginable. Yeah. Um, I I also... I, I, I just want to say, I don't think the film wants us to struggle with that. No. I, it wants us to just kind of brush it by because Kevin Klein is so charming. Right. And, um, you know, and, and we want the best outcome possible for him. Mm-hmm. And also because this was not his machinations. He got swept right. up into this. Right. So he was an innocent who kind of got pushed into something illegal. Mm-hmm. He kept going <laughs> with it. Yeah. Um, but, but it doesn't really, like, it's not raising those questions, but I think it's something that's there within the plot. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I think, Part of what makes us more comfortable with it too, because like we were saying that, um, it's not, it, it's not something that can last. And so it's not like they were trying to prolong this for years and years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so because it, because it has an endpoint, because it, 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 you know, it's, it's too good to last. Um, maybe we don't worry as much about the ethical implications <laughs> of it lasting in the first place. Well, and also because they're like, he's pushing, an agenda of building more homeless shelters. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, like this isn't a self-aggrandizement or self-enriching yeah. other than maybe avoiding the consequences mm-hmm. of the illegal action of pretending to be the president. And I, you know, the the second or maybe third time I saw this, I I was kind of down on it because the things he has to do as a president are so simple compared to some of the crises that actual presidents have had to deal with. Um, you know, he goes and visits groups of auto workers, and he goes to a homeless shelter, and he, you know, and he talks to kids about nutrition, and then he has to, like, you know, get rid of budget items. But even the budget items that they get rid of, I mean, there's, like, kind of a montage where you don't see all of them, are, are things that are, like, kind of reasonable and everyone feels good about. And and now I've kind of come back around to, like, well, this is an idealized version of of government and public service. And yes, in the real world, you would have lose-lose, you know, lose-lose international relations situations. But I think the point is, this is this is the idealized version. And, and if you approached life with that same type of idealism, even if you had difficult choices, you would still make the best choice that you could or, or make better choices overall. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying. Like, um, there's the one version of compromise, which is if everyone's a little unhappy, that was probably a good compromise. <laughs> right. But uh, in the budget meeting, his version of compromises make people see that we could let go this money go for a greater good. And and at the very very end, because everyone is so invested in it, he's you know he's keeping this tally. They're all like they all feel really happy. They've done they something. Cheer. They cheer. They clap. You know, um, it's this amazing moment where you know they all work together to kind of pinch and and you know penny pinch to to fund this homeless shelter and i just love the scale of the money we're talking about which is like well well i can give you 50 million from here right right right, right. yeah <laughs> yeah know? yeah we, we can cut this this from our budget and we won't even notice mm-hmm. like 50 million dollars is being true which is the kind of figures that get tossed around pretty casually when yeah. you're talking about the scale of the federal government yeah um and then and going back to the to sigourney weaver and the first lady they have incredible chemistry together. And it's something I, I was writing my summary and I wanted to end it with the kiss. And then I realized I hadn't really set it up. Like I had shown them interacting once. I was like, oh, I need to set this up a little bit more. So I had to add a few more points. But it's um it's very believable. It's very subtle. And and again, it's like, what if, you know, what if, I mean, like, how do you how do you and, and it's this like really awkward reserved you know they i don't even know if they like touch each other until until the very end after her husband's dead and all this stuff but it's like you know what if your husband was replaced by an imposter and then you kind of fell in love with him (laughs) and like what you know it's it's a very um sweet romance it's a very innocent romance and and at one point they're kind of talking about their past relationships and and dave sort of implies that he's he's been divorced and it's just you know it's it's just life doesn't work out the way you thought it would because your husband's in a coma and been replaced by an imposter who's really nice so um yeah that's that's i i have more and more appreciation for chemistry, whether it's romantic chemistry, other types of chemistry between, um, between characters and films. Cause I think it's, it's not something you can take for granted. Yeah. And, um, like you said at the beginning, you're like so many good films could have been bad films with little things. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's not even like the actors are good or bad in yeah. playing stuff. It's just with each other. You sometimes get a spark and sometimes you don't. And yeah. 
you do want to see these two get together. Though, I will say, <laughs> again, with the kind of questions that the film doesn't want us to raise, if you have pulled off this level of conspiracy, maybe not have the presidential <laughs> president's bodyguard and first lady and someone who looks just like him uh, right. hang out together as you're closing shot. Like, right. we're happy because the gang's back together. Right. Bing Ring steps into the right. shot in front, you know, in front of the door where they disposed yeah. and they were kissing. It's like, oh, the gang's all there. Uh, and as an audience, it's great. But if you start to think about, like, you don't want this to discovered <laughs> maybe you two you three should that never was, speak to each other yeah, ever that, again that, that was something a lot of the a lot of the the critics talked about was like uh you know kevin klein's performance is so good that you won't really think about the plot holes or yeah. the you know well and there's there's another character i didn't mention but um but dave has a friend who's an accountant and we and we're first introduced to him because dave keeps trying to find work for people and so he keeps sending them to the to 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 his um murray's office to be temp workers and he, he like knows half the people there um but then when he's trying to to find money in the budget he invites murray to the white house to come look at the budget with him so murray's the only person in his real life who knows what's you know what's going on um and then so then at the very very end when um when ellen comes to the campaign office murray's there and and Murray sees that, you know, sees they clearly know each other and are interested in each other and kissing. And you just, just look on his face like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> what actually happened? Because, because, um, Murray thought there was one scandal happening. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yes, was yes. There, was there more going on? Right, right. Yeah. That, that, what you, yeah, there's another layer to what was going on. And anyway, um, with, with, both Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and this film, like I said, there's this weird mix of optimism and cynicism mm -hmm. about government and about service within government. Yeah. And like you said, some of it seems to be this commentary in both films about, like, the people who are striving to obtain power are the ones that are going to get it, mm -hmm. and they're probably the ones who shouldn't. And when these outsiders get swept up by events that are just good people who have no interest in wielding power, sometimes they can make the best decisions. Um, but what, like, in terms of statements that dave or a film like mr smith goes to washington are making about government like beyond saying well good people could do good things in government like is there anything more there <laughs> like what are we supposed to feel about the government after uh you know these films that are built in a political world right well and and to kind of turn that on its head a little bit if, if i had to make one critique of this film i think it would be that this film presents people as either being on the Dave and Ellen side of government or being on the Bob and Bill Mitchell side. But no one who is a Bob Alexander or a Bill Mitchell thinks that they are a Bob Alexander and a Bill Mitchell. You know, right. like, like I, I think, um, I think one of the biggest issues in government or in any type of, of power dynamic is people who are doing terrible things, but have convinced themselves that they're not doing terrible things. And so I, you know, as much as I appreciate Frank Langella's amazing, amazing mustache twirling performance, um, um, and, 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 and Kevin Klein's performance as Bill Mitchell, um, I don't think that, I think there are certain types of corruption or, or, um, cynicism or evil or, you know, doing wrong with the power you've been given that is not addressed in this film um and that people are not and that, that people are not going to recognize if they watch this film. or even um people who and not, not just that are doing like negative actions but convince themselves those are right but people who want to do the good thing but have to make hard choices sure like, we never sure. see him really have to make a hard choice yeah that is going to have negative consequences for a certain percentage of people but it's going to have a better consequence for a higher percentage of people and that's not the i mean I'm not trying to play the game of like, oh, the film should be this. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, like, this film doesn't even grapple with right. those those questions. And a more nuanced look at politics and power and right. government would have to address. Those I mean, things. except for except for his decision to to ad admit to the wrongdoing as Bill Mitchell and have the stroke. I mean, that's you know, the, to, to hand off the the power to Vice President Nance, even though. He's enjoyed being in office and he feels like he could do some good and he doesn't know what's going to happen with him and the first lady. Um, and you know, another type of film or the film is set up another, a slightly different way because there's a scene where, um, where Dave's made the switch in the ambulance. And so he walks off in the EMT uniform after talking to Dwayne and the first lady arrives right after that and she's looking for him and she sees him in the distance kind of walking into the mist but she can't go after him and talk to him because she has to play the concerned wife and she has to follow her her comatose actual husband so 
set up slightly differently, cut slightly differently, this film could have been a tragedy of people who gave up love and and personal interest because it was for the greater good, yeah. you know? I mean, it would be Casablanca. It would yes. be. <laughs> well, and like I said, like, as far as keeping the conspiracy secret, that probably should have been the ending. Right. It would not have been as satisfying. It would not have fit the tone of this film. Yes. I do want to say, though, something about that shot when he's walking off into the distance, the framing of that is just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, like, the cinematography was so great in that in that scene. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe because of the simplicity, there's no real subplots. And mm-hmm. there's just kind of a through line. And, and like, Dave doesn't really change a ton. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's no massive character arcs. Um, and, the, and I think this film more as as charming uh than like artistic but there are some of those moments like that shot like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well done i'm not sure who the cinematographer was but you really nailed the framing yeah. of that shot of him disappearing over the hill with her in the foreground and, mm-hmm. and the the night sky and everything and um oh i was gonna say like today i think when you get any of those shots you just assume like well that's probably in front of a green screen and all these things but for 91 was this film 93 93 um a lot of that would have been practical like i'm, I'm pretty sure he would have just been walking off into the night right. and, and they had staged all of that legitimately right. um which isn't to say anything i'm not trying to say anything negative about the you know the artistry of you using green screens to get the exact shot you want or anything like that yeah, so because there's the one shot where they meet um it's not quite a split screenshot because you know, because they, they cross a little bit in the, in the frame of the time. And I think that was a pretty expensive state of the art shot at the time. So yeah, I don't think, it, I don't think it was like all filmed on green screen. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, 93. That's when, uh, you know, Jurassic Park came out, but so much of Jurassic Park is actually practical because we didn't have green screen technology the way it is now, which, which in some ways, I, I mean, we get to do so many amazing things with green screens, mm-hmm. but some of movie magic is gone because we just assume done in computers, green screen. Mm-hmm. Like, like we we don't say how did they do that anymore because we yeah. know it's computers. And I think even at this point when this came out, the shot of Kevin Klein looking at Kevin Klein would have had some people like, "Ooh, how do they do that?" Oh yeah, I mean, yes, we've yeah. seen that in the Parent Trap, I and mean, mm-hmm. yes, we've seen that before. But there's still is kind of like the how are they actually doing that? Right. And I think that sense of wonder has kind of gone away as computers have become so powerful and allowed so much um, you know, n- not just that we know Hollywood does those things, but, but we, our computers come preset with cutting edge editing software that would have blown the minds of the people who are trying to figure out how to do this in the 1980s. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, oh. And I, I think the film does a great job with that and like leaving it understated. Like mm-hmm. they have the one shot of mm-hmm. them face to face and it's not like we're going to really blow their minds with movie magic. It's like we need to have a scene of them meeting because right. that, that is naturally what would happen here. Yeah. Yeah, and and the really mind blowing thing about that shot is just Kevin Klein's double performance, completely, completely convincing double performance. So, and it's not a double performance where like one is dirty and what like they're dressed the exact same, mm-hmm. but you're seeing two different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that one, it, like you, you made some jokes. Like, oh well, the hair's not that's that's constantly like this is just Kevin Klein. The way he holds his body and his facial expressions are different enough to clearly delineate the personalities of himself. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that he's playing to the to the point that I that I weirdly almost forget that he plays Bill Mitchell because he's so lovable as Dave that I want to think that that is Kevin Klein and I and I have a good opinion of him as an actor you know and so I want to be like oh yes he's definitely you know I'm projecting I'm projecting his personality as that character onto him and then I don't want to project Bill Mitchell onto him because Bill Mitchell is such a terrible person so <laughs> uh, yeah and again like uh, this film like it's just kind of a, a nice little film but I think there's some genuinely great great performances and some genuinely great directing and cinematography that um elevates what could have just been like oh, i remember that mm-hmm. like but i i think even as i'm saying like this isn't one of those iconic films i think right. it's elevated above what it could have been mm-hmm. because kevin klein does a, such a great uh, performance ivan reitman clearly has some good directing chops um on display with this and there's great chemistry yeah. uh, within the cast yeah and it's one of those like it, you know, like you said, it's not it's not an amazing iconic film, but it's one of those like a little better than you remembered it films, uh-huh. and you know, and so it's just like just good enough that you should watch it about every ten years. Exactly, <laughs> no, that's exactly what I thought when I was rewatching for this. I'm like, I, like I remember watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is better than I remember. Yeah. but at the same time, it's also like it's simpler than I remember. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I think that is maybe an underrated, particularly in Hollywood today, that is an right. underrated level of filmmaking to hit. Yeah, where it's like, oh, it, like. This is a great cast and a great director making a fairly simple film right. that isn't trying to do too much. Like Hollywood, it's it seems like it's all or like it's just all. <laughs> There's not all or nothing in Hollywood. Right. It's you're part of a massive franchise and you're going to come in with an initial budget of one hundred million dollars plus, and that is what they're interested in making. And we're not getting these films that would have had you know a ten million dollar budget for right. everything. Right. Um, that just doesn't exist in Hollywood. And I, 
like, I was so happy to go kind of go revisit this. And I love right. your description. Like, oh, it's better than I remember. <laughs> it's such yeah. a pleasant moment. Yeah. And it's one of those, like, you know, if if you if you knew a younger person and wanted to introduce them to some of the films of the 90s they weren't alive for or wouldn't remember, this would be, it'd be like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. We should, you know, it's worth catching up on. It's not something that, it's not something like Star Wars where mm-hmm. if you like film at all, you'll have seen it regardless of when you were born. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's that's good enough. That's worth That's worth looking at. Yeah. Um, another aspect or maybe kind of a trope that, that I thought of was, um, so there's this idea of, of becoming the mask that you, you know, you pretend to be a certain, you pretend to be something or someone and do you become like this person that you're pretending? And, and Dave's personality, he doesn't really have a character like you were saying, but he definitely becomes more comfortable pretending to be Bill Mitchell, even at the same time, even as he kind of draws bill mitchell's actions to be um to be more dave right yeah exactly exactly um and so when he's for example when he when he fires bob that's something that he wouldn't have done you know a few weeks previously oh absolutely not so yeah so he i mean he's he's more comfortable interacting with the first lady although it it helps when she finds out the truth um and they're falling in love and they're falling in love yeah but it's it's interesting like you know to to what extent does he become presidential to what extent does he worry about his actions this is no longer a ruse of of just trying to get through a single day it's it's he has to think of this bigger picture um and then you know to to a certain extent also his his bodyguard Dwayne um, is very closed off. And, and, and obviously when he first meets Dave, it's everything Dave knows is on a need to know basis. He doesn't need to know very much. So he doesn't know anything, but eventually, um, you know, Dwayne comes to respect him and care about him as much as if he was the actual president. And, and that's why, you know, that, that very last moment of, okay, I would have taken a bullet for you. It's, it's like he's earned that incredibly high degree of, um, of loyalty. From Dwayne, just just by the way he acted, just by being a really decent person. And it's one of those um, where it's been so long since I remembered it, it. I had seen the film when they have the that first conversation about, "Would you take a bullet for the president?" And he's like, "Yes." Mm-hmm. And then he's kind of like, "Well, does that mean you take a bullet for right, me?" Right. And uh, Dwayne just kind of lets that hang. Right. <laughs> he does not address that. And I was like, "I don't think there's any shooting in this. Yes. He doesn't have to take a bullet." But right. you kind of got, I had a little bit of nervousness for Van Grames. <laughs> You know, for Dwayne, like, is he right. going to take a bullet? Right. But um, again, just talking about like the scale of it, there's no giant action set pieces. Yeah. But the verbal of "I would have taken a, bur- mm-hmm. a bullet for you" actually like landed mm-hmm. emotionally for me. Yeah. Like, oh, that <laughs> that well, was a and, moment there. They just had a moment, and it hit for me in a way that certainly an action film, like an action sequence, would have hit differently. It, right. It just didn't do that. But I just love the fact that they found a way to give you that kind of like the the sense of loyalty um and, and as much as we've praised the the show don't tell aspect of revealing character mm-hmm. that little conversation i mean it's not a huge conversation mm-hmm. but it revealed a lot of character in right. a very small phrase yeah it's a it's a small conversation that is very very earned mm-hmm. um and i you know i've i've heard people describe it as as you know in an action movie someone throws a bomb at someone else and in a in a romantic comedy it's you see some you see the person you like with another you know with another love interest or something and so like like no Dwayne doesn't take a physical bullet for him and and really no i mean really no one's in physical danger at any point in this film except but for the dying president except for the dying <laughs> president. it's his own fault um uh yeah but but you still um you still have this really, really tense moments because of the emotion and because of the relationships that, that people have built up. Yeah. And so was, um, I've listened to the podcast West Wing Weekly and they talk about how in that show, sometimes, um, like just a flirtatious comment is like a kiss scene, you know, a makeout scene on another show mm-hmm. and them actually kissing is like a sex scene <laughs> on a regular network drama because right. everything is so understated and so reserved and pulled back from that aspect. Yeah. Um, on this. And yeah, I think it's, it's similar. Like, okay, that one conversation actually. Can hit with uh, something that uh, a film that begins with bom- a bombastic action scene has three set pieces throughout and ends on a massive cliffhanger. Like you need to do something completely different to get any emotional feeling mm-hmm. in those kinds of films. And in this, you can just pull it back to one conversation where a man says, "I would have taken a bullet for you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I do just want to give one final shout out. A shout out to the great cast: uh, Sigourney Weaver, Ving Rhames, Kevin. Feige. They're all like for what they're asked to do they they do it perfectly yeah <laughs> um and it really helps to you know that that kind of ensemble just elevates the, the entire film 
I think that's going to wrap everything else up, though. Thank you for joining us, and thank you, Kirsta, for coming on as a guest. You are welcome. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. And please also subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 47, when we talked about While You Were Sleeping, or episode number 171, when we talked about The Prestige, a tragic version of doubling and identity theft. Very much so. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod, at Jay Dorowski. Kirsta, you are at BYU underscore librarian. Excellent. And our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Bye-bye. Uh, Andrew, this has got a little alert that I can't seem to exit out of. Yeah, don't touch anything. <laughs> this is just the iCloud preference. Mine pops up with that. I hit later. Nothing happens. Oh, mine's been getting it lately. I don't know why. Oh, I hit later like three times and nothing happened. Yeah, I did it four <laughs> you, times. You don't own this map. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's sensitive to the fingerprint of the person um, giving it commands. <laughs>